Good morning. Um, open your Bibles to Romans 12, probably opening on its own by now. And we're going to take a look at verses 3 to 5 today. This passage, 3 to 5, is not as familiar to us as verses 1 and 2 are. But after today, I hope it will be indelibly impressed on all of us. Now, this chapter is dedicated to serving and being useful in the kingdom of God. And the work of the kingdom depends upon our usefulness, our faithfulness, our commitment, unity, and even our diversity. So, we who are followers of Christ have received the mercies of God, and those we've seen in the first 11 chapters. We've been transferred from darkness into light. We've been freed from the slavery to sin. We have become children of God, saints of the Most High. We are now servants of the Lord Jesus. In view of that, I've got a question for you today. Do you believe you can be useful in the kingdom of God? Think about it. Do you believe God can use you in his kingdom? When I became a Christian, I doubted it. In a real way, this chapter, Romans 12, saved my life. And because uh, I was going nowhere. I was brought up in a very needy area. In those days, we called it a ghetto. And uh, we don't use that term anymore. It had the title of the murder, murder capital of the USA. There was a phrase. You may have heard it in the Bible. Same thing. Can any good thing come out of our area? There was little hope. I played basketball, really did, with some of the best basketball players I've ever seen. Most of them ended up in jail or in working in car washes. Now, to be, to be honest, one landed up, ended up playing with the Milwaukee Bucks, and another played for the Harlem Globetrotters. But I had one thing I wanted to do with my life, one thing, play Major League Baseball. And I had everything I needed to play in the big leagues except one thing, ability. <laughs> There's always a blockade somewhere. Then I met Jesus. Everything changed, but the question still remained, what could I do in the body of Christ? A few years later, along with some friends, uh, we began to study 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 12, and this chapter that we're going to study today. And uh, I want to tell you and detail out some of the things that I discovered in this chapter that really changed my life, and I hope it will change yours also. However, you know what's coming. In order for us to really understand the sense of these three verses, verses 3 to 5, and even perhaps on to verse 6, we need to read verses 1 and 2 again. We've done this three weeks in a row now, but let's, let's, let's read it one more time. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, Romans 12:1, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, first, to be of service in the kingdom of God, we have to offer ourselves in that single, supreme act of worship, a living sacrifice, offering to the Lord our whole soul, body, will, and mind. Now, the way I say it 
is this. Giving all that you know about yourself to all that you know about God. Now, as you grow, you're going to know more about God. And as you grow, you're going to know more about yourself. So this is a process. But the basic requirement that God lays down for every believer is to give yourself as a living sacrifice. He says it's for all of us, so it's no different for you than it is for me. So that's number one. Entrance into usefulness in the kingdom of God depends upon giving yourself as a living sacrifice. Two, we have to have our minds renewed so that our thinking is changed. So we don't follow the patterns of this world, which is so easy to do. Now, one of the translations says, don't be squeezed by the patterns of this world. The New Living Translation says it this way. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Personally, I have to do it every day. There isn't a day go by that I don't, I don't need to have my mind renewed in some way, especially when I have to respond to a certain situation. You know, I need my mind renewed. And my default mind-renewing passages are Psalm 37, Psalm 73, and Philippians chapter 2. That'll renew your mind. That'll do it. Now, having taken these two basic fun functional steps, foundational steps, let's dive into verses 3 to 5. Our usefulness depends upon three things. A right perspective about ourselves, a right perspective about the body of Christ, and even though we're not going to look at it, if I were going to go into verse 6, a right perspective about the grace gifts God's given to us. So, let's, let's take a look at number one. Serving in the kingdom of God depends upon the right perspective about ourselves. Verse 3, for by the grace, very important, given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. Let's take this verse apart. Paul begins by using the word grace. Now, I think what he's talking about here is the grace of being an apostle. He was given the grace to do apostleship. Let's look at a couple of other verses. How about Romans 1.5? Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. Romans 15, 15. Yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. And then, so Paul, basically, everything he's going to say in this chapter, he's modeling it now. But notice in Ephesians 4, 7. But to each of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So he got grace, we get grace. This is the grace given to him as an apostle. And he's speaking about himself. Now he's going to go on to speak about us. Verse 5, verse 3 again. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God is distributed to each of you. Paul's teaching here is universal. He says, I say to every one of you, his teaching is not addressed to one person or to a small group or to one church. It's to every one of you. These principles apply to 
all of us. Nobody gets a pass this morning. Don't tune this out. It's for every one of us today. Paul's words say that every Jesus follower is given grace to be useful in the God's kingdom. Do I believe that? Do you believe that? Paul warns of thinking too highly of ourselves. You know, when I read this, the first thing I thought of is, what? What's he saying here? You know, um, I think maybe the problem is thinking too lowly of myself, not too highly of myself. Our day regards low self-esteem as the great evil. And uh, that, that causes all sorts of things. Low self-esteem came to prominence in the 60s and was amplified in the 70s. So it's a relatively new concept. But here, Paul warns of the opposite. We must not have too high an estimation of ourselves. Low self-esteem is never mentioned. As fallen, sinful creatures, hey, we're great lovers. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 2, people will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful and proud. In Galatians 6, 3, Paul says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. They don't deceive their mothers-in-law. <laughs> you know that. So, it is a problem. Thinking too highly of oneself is like the, it's like the fellow who, who wanted to write the book. He said, he wrote the book, Ten Great People That Knew Me. Or, or the other book, Humility and How I Attained It. You know? So, this is a proper time, Paul says, to examine ourselves. Now, we examine ourselves before we take the Lord's Supper. It says so in 1 Corinthians 11. Another place where we're supposed to examine ourselves, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And this is another time today in Romans chapter 12. So, we are warned not to overestimate, to think proudly. It's the sin of pride. He says, I'm telling you, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Don't overestimate your value. Don't overestimate your gifts. Don't overestimate yourselves. But the Bible says that uh, a proud heart the Lord hates in Proverbs 6. Peter says, be clothed with humility, for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, Peter says, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. Now, can you think of anybody in the Bible that may have had too high an estimation of themselves? Well, I thought about that for a while, and I came up with two. Number one, Korah. Remember Korah? Numbers chapter 16? His rebellion. He says, I have God with me. To the exclusion of others, especially Moses and Aaron, over which he stood in judgment. And it led to the deaths of 250 of the leaders in Israel. How about the disciples? Remember in Matthew 9? After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, um, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer. Because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Oh, dear. 
he sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be the first must take the last place and be the servant of everyone else. So in this text, it says don't have an exaggerated opinion of your abilities. Don't have an exaggerated opinion of your gifts. Rather, have sober thinking. Think wisely. Think sanely. Be in your right mind. Don't think too highly. Keep a proper measure of your gifts and be a servant. Now, how does this happen? I mean, how does it happen that we see people thinking more highly of themselves in the church? First of all, using a gift boastfully. That would be thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. It's a pompous use of a genuine gift. Um, God has given you a certain gift, and you're conceited about it. Now, one time, my wife and I were in, in Florida for a conference, and uh, as is our custom, on Sunday morning, we went to church. So we had to find a church to go to. So I looked, looked up the names of churches. I found one, went there, and we went through the praise and worship, and they had a... a uh, a uh, invited speaker. He wasn't the pastor. And so, first of all, we thought that he might have been just a little pompous, you know, just a little bit. And um, when he finished his sermon, just like this, took his Bible, put it here, walked up and said this, perhaps you were impressed with the eloquence today. I looked over at my wife, and she was looking for the door. <laughs> you want the whole world to know that you're good at something, so you continually blow your own horn. Hey, that does not sound like the, the Pharisees. Talk about yourself. Promote your own causes. Now, another improper view of ourselves is depreciating your value. You could call it false humility, thinking that there's no place in the kingdom for you, no gifts, nothing to add. That's a total, complete lie completely against what Scripture says. And you'll see that in the next couple of weeks when Jose comes back. There's a third wrong attitude, and that's imitating someone else's gift. And now, why do we imitate someone else? That's because he's popular right now, you know? You know, when I was first saved, you know who was really popular then? Billy Graham. So I thought serving God was getting a southern accent. <laughs> really did, really did, worked on it. And you know who was, I'm going to say this name, maybe none of, you, none of you have ever heard of it, J. Vernon McGee? Oh, yeah, you have, huh? Well, he was very popular. In fact, my wife and I, before we were married, we went and saw him in person. So I looked at him and I thought, gee, the way to serve God is have bad grammar, you know? So, you know, God has given you a place to minister. You may not have found it yet, but it's where he wants to bless you and bless those you minister to. We don't have to imitate someone else. Another wrong attitude is, is failing to use a gift just because it's, incon it's inconspicuous. If the foot says, since I'm not the eye, I'm not going to do anything. No, mm -mm, that's not acceptable. And there's a fifth attitude too, and that's the attitude of failing to use your gift at all. Turning it off. And that's really what he's dealing with here in this chapter. Sometimes the church is like a football game. 22 players on the field, desperate need of rest. And 60,000 people in the stands, desperately needing exercise. 
if there are 700 people in a church, there should be 700 people working in harmony, ministering to each other's needs. The second way to have a proper perspective regarding ourself is think of yourself with sober judgment. I'm going to quote the New Living Translation here. Be honest in your evaluation about yourself. Nothing like the NLT to go straight, straight to the point. Don't overestimate yourself or boast. Don't underestimate yourself and say, well, I don't have anything to offer. Who am I anyway? I'm nothing. Those kinds of attitudes devastate the body of Christ. Now, how do we get an honest evaluation of yourself? Well, I might mention a few things later on, but I have one practical suggestion. Have you ever taken time to look at the scriptures that describe your identity in Christ? Your identity in Jesus? I keep a list in my computer of who I am in Christ. And whenever, whenever I'm discouraged, I go to it and read it again. I give you a copy, except it's in Spanish. However, there is a book, Who Am I? My Identity in Christ by Jerry Bridges. I recommend it to you. I learned a lot from my mentor. Uh, how many of you have read books or heard of Ray Steadman? Some of you, I see a few. Mm. He was my mentor. Ray said every morning he reminds himself of three things. First, I am made in the image of God. I am not an animal, and I don't have to behave like an animal because I have an ability within me given by God himself to react and relate to God. Therefore, I can behave as a man and not as a beast. Second, Ray used to say, I'm filled with the Spirit of God. Though I didn't deserve it in the least degree, I have the power of God at work within me. I have become, in some sense, the bearer of God. And God himself is willing to be at work in me in terms of the little problems and little pressures that I am going to go through this day. And third, I remind myself that I am part of the plan of God, that God is working all things out to a great and final purpose in the earth, and I am part of it. What I do today has purpose and significance and meaning. It is not just a meaningless thing that I am going to do. Even the smallest incident and the most apparently insignificant word or relationship is involved in that great plan. One third point. How can you be honest about yourself? Paul says, don't not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Third part, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. Now, there's no doubt that this is the hardest phrase to interpret in Romans chapter 12. And I have my own interpretation of this verse, which I'm going to explain to you in a couple of minutes. But I have a personal rule. If I come up with an interpretation of a, of a verse or a passage and no one in the history of the, of the church has ever come up with it, I drop it. I mean, I can't be right. So on this particular interpretation, which I'm going to explain, I started looking into the commentaries of some of the best Greek theologians, and I found some support for what we're going to say today. Now, to explain this phrase in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you, we've got to go back to a more formal translation, translation of the Bible, more literal translation. I'm going to use the New American Standard. 
The end of verse 3 in the NASV says, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each, the phrase, a measure of faith. The ESV, the English Standard Version, which is uh, essentially literal, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. The NIV again says, in accordance with the faith God has distributed each one. Now, what do we know? Each believer has been given, passive voice has been given, a gift to minister to others. We use the measure of faith to have sound judgment about ourselves. Now, one Greek scholar says this means a portion measured out and allotted. We have been given a proportion of faith to do our ministry. Not to do someone else's. We've been given a proportion to do our ministry. Uh, I have faith to do my ministry, not yours. You've been given faith to do your ministry, not someone else's. Now, that gives my life meaning, doesn't it? It tells me how important it is to give myself totally to him. He has given me a grace gift to use for his glory in the advancement of his kingdom and given me the measure of faith I need to do it. He has proportioned out that measure of faith. The measure is different for everyone. He measures it out for each of us distinctly. We're one of a kind. It's an to me, it's an incredible thought. There aren't two of us exactly alike. You and I, we may have the same gift. But we're going to have a different proportion of faith and we're, not, and we're going to be utterly unique. That's because each of us have been given a unique measure of faith. Now, what kind of faith is he talking about? Not saving faith, because saving faith isn't measured out differently to different people. Well, then what is it? Basically, it's the kind and quantity of faith that it takes to operate my gift. God gives me the faith it takes to use my gift. Now, it took me about 15 times until that, that sunk in because I really was going nowhere. It gives me the spiritual insights, the spiritual sensitivities, and the spiritual capacities, and the spiritual ability to understand how to use the gift he's given to me. 1 Peter 4.10. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, All these are the work of one and the same spirit. As he, um, is it distributes or distributes? Distributes, isn't it? As he distributes them to each one just as he determines. The Holy Spirit divides the gifts as he will. By the way, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, we just saw the word in Greek that, that, that is translated as he determines is a word that means private, particular, and individual. And that's the way our gifts have been given. Private, particular, and individual. The Holy Spirit has dealt out to every person one of a kind. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, a grace gift, is given for the common good. 
That's the divine source of all gifts, God, and the common good is for all of us. So, the first thing I learned from verse 3, then is God is the one who deals these and measures them out individually according to his sovereign will. Secondly, it is the Lord that gives these gifts and dealt them out to each one of us. And then no gift should go unused. Why? It's given by God for his glory. It's given by God for the purpose of advancing his kingdom, serving others, advancing the church, praising his name. And whatever your gift is, it is pleasing to God that he gave it to you. And he wants to use that gift. Don't second guess God. You know, don't let it fall into disuse. Now, we have a next-door neighbor. And uh, she, um, about 40 years ago, she was studying in Women's Bible Fellowship. And um, they were studying Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, this whole subject of the gifts. And she came home one day and she said, I can be used by God. I have a gift and I know what it is. It's working with children. 40 years she's been working with kids now. She knows the name of every kid in our neighborhood. And there are a lot of them, believe me. She has the kids from the neighborhood over. She's right now teaching at a great church near us, right here. Who's she teaching? Children. That's what happens. She, she found it and she was given the measure of faith. God, and God does not give a gift and put us then in a point of frustration. You know what? Have you ever tried to define frustration, the word frustration? I'll tell you what it is. Having me administrate something. That's, that's the definition of the word frustration. God does not put us in a place. He puts in a place of blessing. You say, well, how do I know my gift? Mm, hang on. I got a couple of ideas. Number one, present yourself as a living sacrifice. You know, I think that one thing that happened to me is that when I was saved, um, I'd probably been saved for a year or so. Nobody in the church wanted to teach the sixth grade Sunday school class. I can't figure out why, but uh, no one wanted to. So they put me in there. It was one of the best years I've ever had. Those kids, about three-quarters of the kids in that class had never received Jesus. They all became Christians. And they, the others began to walk with him. Even to this day, I can still uh, communicate with several of those people who received the Lord in that Sunday school class. Number two, understand that you've been given a gift. That was the thing that really changed me. Number three, pray for wisdom. James chapter one, pray for wisdom. Four, examine your heart's desires. What do you desire to do? When you're walking with Jesus, usually our gift and our passion go together. Our neighbor had a passion for kids. Seek confirmation. Someone else ought to see it. You know, ought to confirm that you've got the gift. I remember the guy who said, I've got the gift of teaching. The problem is the people don't have the gift of listening. <laughs> Sixth, look for the opportunities in the body to serve. Try several out. Look for God's blessing. Seven, serve with your whole heart. Eight, 
when you think you begin to see what it is, go for it. In other words, cultivate the gift. And number nine, always keep the right attitude. Our attitude of humility. Okay, serving God in the kingdom depends upon, number one, having the right perspective about yourself. Number two, having the right perspective regarding the body of Christ. I can sum up the right perspective. Unity and diversity. It's a great thing. Diversity and unity. Romans 12, 4 and 5. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Only the Bible can say so much in so few words. Paul starts with a physical body. Now look at your body. He says, you've got many members. You've got a head, you've got a mouth, you've got ears, you've got legs, you've got fingers. You actually have internal organs also. So what is he saying? You have many members in one body, and all members don't have the same function. You know, I don't even have to think about it. My hands do exactly, instinctively, what my mind, rather casually, tells them to do. But they work together. So Paul takes this and applies it to church, to us. The church is an organism, not an organization. It's a living organism. I want to flip now to 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 27 for a couple of minutes. It's a long, I know it's a long passage, but I think you'll find very instructive. As we read this section, let's look for the following concepts. Unity, diversity, harmony, interdependence. Diversity, harmony, unity, interdependence. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation so it'll flow a little better. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. If you're taking notes, uh, later on today, go read Galatians 3.28. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if an ear says, I am not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts with less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, 
all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you are a part of it. Now, I think this has implications on a personal level and a corporate level. Let's begin with a corporate level. We in this church are part of the body of Christ universal. We're also part of the body of Christ in the greater Portland area. Because of that, we always speak well of other churches. As Paul indicates, when one of the other churches is having great success, it's our success because we're part of the same body. When another church suffers, we suffer with it and we try to help because we're part of the same body. Um, a couple of years ago, when the beloved pastor of Beaverton Foursquare, did any of you know Ron Mel? Beaverton Foursquare, when he passed away, went to be with Jesus. Village Baptist on Murray, they have that big sign there. They put on their sign, Ron Mel, a life well lived. I don't know how much Village Baptist and Beaverton Foursquare shared together. I don't. But I'll tell you, this is sowing unity, respect, love, and diversity. That is what both Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians are talking about. On a local church level, we share here common life, common gifts, common ministry, resources, joy, sorrow, common everything. There's no place for jealousy, pride, judging, and the like. These verses emphasize our unity and our diversity. We're all one, yet we're all different. Now, if you have a body that has a member that says, I'm not going to function, we got a problem. And that's what Paul is saying here. Everything in the body needs to work together. Everything in a church has to work together. If, if you've got parts of the church that aren't functioning, the whole body suffers. I, I know. I mean, uh, a few years ago, my right hip start, stopped functioning. And yeah, I know, I know. It was my own fault. It came from 4 million 17-foot jump shots. And, um, but it stopped. And uh, it was bone on bone. I had to have my hip replaced. It really affected my whole body. I couldn't walk. I seriously couldn't walk. And that's what happens. Unified diversity is the mark of the church, and it's the mark of the body. So what can we do as far as a conclusion goes? I got five ideas out of Romans 12. Number one, have you given your body as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God? Have you given... All that you know of yourself to all that you know of God? If not, that's the place to start. Two, have you allowed God to change your thinking so that you will not be squeezed into this world's thinking? If not, it's time to do that. Number three, do you have a proper view of yourself? Not too high, not too low. If not, it's time to make that evaluation before God with the Bible open. Four, do you have a proper view of the body of Christ? We are all to serve each other in humility for the common good. If not, it's time to read 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, and Ephesians 4. And allow the Holy Spirit to teach you. 
it changed my life. Five, you have a proper view of the grace gifts that God gives to each as he will. If not, I suggest you meditate on the nine suggestions that we gave earlier. It's time for all of us to serve each other and not be like that football team with 60,000 people desperately needing exercise. Lord, thank you for this time together. We thank you that uh, you have sovereignly given gifts. You've given them to each one of us without exception, and that you've given the, the, the measure of faith to carry it out. We thank you, Lord, that we weren't given the gift and just left alone. Oh, Lord, help us to find, to use, to, to use our gifts in unity, realizing that we're diverse. Oh, God, shower your grace upon us today. In Jesus' name.